As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the Welcome to Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined as always by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King. Ladies and gentlemen, we are coming to you on a Wednesday afternoon, the day after the Celtics even up the series against the Milwaukee Bucks 1-1 after a forgot the final score 109 to 86 victory in game 2 in which the Celtics offense really came alive at least uh, in the first half and we'll definitely talk about uh the adjustments the Bucks made and kind of how the the game progressed but I thought Jay, the most impressive thing about this Celtics victory and something that's uh, been a constant even in the losses game one was just how good their defense has been, especially in making Giannis just terribly inefficient uh, in pretty much both of these games. Yeah, and and they did it. What was so impressive, I thought, about game two is they were able to make Giannis inefficient, obviously a, a better second half, but they were able to limit his efficiency while also taking away the arc and playing him with mostly single teams, which you don't see very often. And I think we really saw the impact of Chris Middleton's absence because outside of Giannis, the Bucks have one guy who could potentially break down a defense in Drew Holiday. Other than that, maybe Grayson Allen too, maybe too. But other than that, it's just guys who are are not playmakers, who are not gifted off the bounce, who are not going to break down your defense. And so I thought the Celtics really took advantage. The, the, the way they were able to guard the arc to me while also limiting Giannis was just crazy. And – they, the Bucks took eight three-pointers in the entire first half. Just eight. 
Like that's and three of those were were Giannis, which is like a welcome shot for the Celtics at this point. Yeah, you're begging him to take those, and so to get to that level um, defensively was, I mean, obviously the offense went bonkers in the first half, and Jalen Brown was incredible, and but but the defense has been the constant in this series, and it's going to have to continue to be that way because I really don't think the Celtics have have like unlocked anything that they can rely on yet offensively other than just hitting a ton of threes and like they 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 had great ball movement and everything else um but they still had to hit a lot of shots and some tough shots to score against that Bucks defense. Yeah, I think the the ability to guard Giannis with one guy really makes it so the other Celtics defenders on the perimeters can kind of just stay on their men. But the Celtics or the Bucks attempted only 18 threes, which I believe is the lowest amount in the Mike Boonholzer era. And if you just look at the shots taken by other guys in the starting lineup, Giannis had 27 and Drew Holiday, who is Drew Holiday, is a complete tangent, but is Drew Holiday the best like one-on-one player uh, we've ever seen? He just has a crazy ability that I didn't know he had to destroy any defender going one-on-one in the paint. Am I, am I, am I dumb beast. for not knowing this existed? He's, he's like a, I, yeah, yeah, he's a beast. And whenever he gets a smaller guy, especially, watch He was out. doing it to Horford. He was doing it. To, he was taking it right through Al Horford's chest. And I think that's the part that was like the most eye-opening to me. I expected him to beat the smaller guys, but he just has a crazy ability to get a great look uh, one-on-one. But that's not the point. My point is that he took 20 shots. Giannis took 27. Then if you look at the other guys, Brooke Lopez and Wesley Matthews each took two. Uh, Bobby Portis, I guess, was five for seven, but really didn't make an impact. Pat Connaughton did some stuff off the bench. But it really felt like the entire Bucks offense was, okay, let's see if Giannis can drive through the chest of Grant Williams and Al Horford. And he did it sometimes because he's Giannis and he's extremely talented. But I just thought the Celtics, especially those two guys, uh, just did a fantastic job of making it difficult for him. And I thought Ime uh, Udoka, he had a very early substitution of Grant Williams for uh, Robert Williams that I thought was – it was surprising when it happened, but it it definitely seemed like it was the right move, just like making it difficult – for Giannis, anytime he kind of crossed the three-point line, yeah, and you could see the the obvious emphasis on getting pay touches but moving the ball and and not forcing things against the the Bucks rim protectors. Even though Ime said they're not Will Chamberlain, which which is funny because <laughs> because Giannis is probably the closest thing we've had to Will Chamberlain, right? With with the all the numbers he puts up the way he does it how how much bigger stronger more athletic he is than everyone like he <laughs> he's sort of a modern day will chamberlain so so it is funny that he used that comparison um but but yeah you you could see, like they had just some amazing offensive possessions where it was paint touch kick out up fake paint touch kick out up fake paint touch kick out find somebody for and sometimes even the look at the end of it was semi-contested the Bucks defense is amazing um but but just the the level of purpose the Celtics showed and 
the level of um, physicality they play with. I thought they were taken aback by the Bucks' physicality, by the full-court pressure in Game 1. In Game 2, at, at least in the first half, they handled that a lot better. Um, so Really I, I, limiting the turnovers. I thought that was a huge thing for them in Game 1, but they jumped out to this big 25-point lead, only seven turnovers for them in the first half. Uh, eight points off that for the Bucks. Like the Bucks still brought full court pressure a lot of the time and still were like doing a great job of hounding the basketball. But the Celtics just felt like they dealt with it uh, a lot better and just didn't make as many of the dumb mistakes as they did in Game One. Yeah, and that's huge because I don't think the Bucks will have answers without Middleton in the half court. Like it's just going to be really tough for them to score. Uh, and 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 even in game one, the Celtics half court defense was incredible. Ime Odoka said, you know, that was one of the best half court defensive performances based on their numbers that they've had all year all year long. And and game two, it was similar in the half court, but they also were able to limit the transition opportunities. And I felt like in game one, the the bad offense really, really hurt the Celtics defense because it was the turnovers, it was the the miss the miss threes and then all of a sudden Giannis is running out the other way and he has angles to to find guys for passes or he has angles to get to the rim and and he's just such a force in transition that they can ruin you that way but in in game two the Celtics kind of shored up a lot of that and and were able to have just a much more efficient night offensively which which led over to the other side I mean the Celt- the Bucks rather had they had one catch and shoot three pointer made all all game, all game. Giannis hit a pull up, Drew Holiday hit a step back, and Pat Connaughton hit the one catch and shoot. Other than that, nothing. They were three for eighteen from the line, and, and forget the three because if they take eighteen threes again, they'll make more than three. Sometimes the eighteen is the most impressive part, like. Just giving up 18 threes to a team that had the the number three offense. Obviously, Middleton isn't there, um, but but that the, the the Celtics defense has been up to the challenge. I thought Grant Williams and Al Horford were just phenomenal on on Giannis, and and I think Grant Williams' ability to guard Giannis is huge in this series because it it gives Al Horford a break. <laughs> you know, like if if you're playing 40 minutes against Giannis. Like good luck. Like you're gonna wear down by the end of the series. You're gonna wear down by the end of games. But the fact that Grant's able to shoulder that load and has gone from guarding Kevin Durant in one series really well to now making things tough on Giannis, he's really showing his worth during this playoff run so far. And he's doing that also while making six of nine of his uh, three point attempts in this game. The number that's just crazy. It's just points off three pointers, sixty to nine. It feels like the Celtics are gonna like. I mean, any team would win that game. The the real question is, it really feels like the Celtics, if they can kind of get this to a half court game and slow it down and make sure their defense is set, they're gonna be able to slow down the Bucks without Chris Middleton, just because their their spacing isn't great, and I don't know. Um, we saw a little bit in the in the second half. We saw more of the Giannis at the five lineups, which uh, 
they've traditionally used as Eric name was telling us on our kind of crossover pod last week that like that's been their kind of go-to points efficient scoring. Uh, and I thought they got some easier looks at that, uh, especially when they're using Giannis just as the screener, just because the kind of, they, no one wanted to help off Giannis. And I thought yeah. Connaughton and Grayson Allen got some easy looks at the basket there. But I think on the other end, it allowed when they took kind of the big guys out, it allowed Jason Tatum to kind of attack Javon Carter or Grayson Allen more uh, and kind of sustain the scoring when the Celtics were really kind of struggling to score in the second half. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see how what the Bucks try to do to kind of jolt their offense moving forward. And if that is kind of going smaller, what effect that has on the, on the Bucks defense, who which like absent the, the first half, where the Celtics were just hitting a crazy amount of shots. I still think the Bucs did a, a pretty damn good job of, of slowing them down, um, especially in the second half. Like, things weren't easy. And this is what's like, so fun about the playoffs is the chess match. And so, I guess, what did, what did you see out there with Giannis at the five? And do you think that's like a sustainable thing the, the Bucs can do for success, especially on the offensive end? Yeah, I think, I think there's just more space around Giannis in that. And it's weird because Brooke Lopez in the past has been like a great, great three point shooter. Um, but if you look at his numbers last year, if you look at his numbers, uh, recently, like it's just not the same. Like the last he shot, I guess he's never been a great three point shooter, but, um, he used to shoot. He's been like a, a guy a you, he could clip. knock it down. Like, yeah, there was one year he shot 37%. But then 2019-20, 31.4. Last year, 33.8. This year, in limited time, 35.8. So he's not like a knockdown guy. And uh, so I, I feel like there's just a little more speed, a little more shooting um, when he's not out there. But the impact on the other side is is that you don't have Brook Lopez. And, and he is a force. He's a force at the rim. Uh, the Celtics did a little better job of of spacing out him and Portis and kind of getting those guys to to be on the move and taking them putting them in situations where they're they're not as as impactful. Um, but but it, it's going to be tougher for the Bucks defense over the long run if if Brooke Lopez isn't out there. So we'll see um, how how that kind of chess match plays out, but. I think, you know, after after game one, it was like that like Jalen Brown said it, that's that's our first real playoff test this year, obviously. Um, but it's also, you know, since January, their first test. <laughs> like they just kicked the shit out of teams, you know? And and I think when you get taken out of your comfort zone and when you kinda have to do some soul searching and, and come back after really getting controlled in game one uh the the Celtics kind of got back to what they do being the physical team being the team that, that doesn't make many mistakes it has a lot of good ball movement um the Marcus Smart absence you know obviously that's a big deal but I, I thought they were able to do pretty well without him they were able to handle the ball pressure without him and I think Jalen Brown having a good decision making game it really, really helped play into that. 
Yeah, I mean, like Jalen Brown is like the major reason his um, like just amazing shooting performance in the first quarter is why they were able to kind of build out that big lead. Yeah, he put I on a show early. Definitely a show and, and did something that I thought that the Celtics might do more of was just like taking some shots in the mid-range, which is like definitely something that the the Bucks will are kind of welcome, but I think that's where the Celtics uh especially with players like Brown and Tatum kind of need to attack. I think uh they have like Brown especially has the talent and for some reason he's like at his best always in the first quarter. First quarter Jalen Brown uh is a known entity, but I thought his ability to just knock down mid-range shots um and then knock down threes and then his even his decision making and passing off of that when he got attention uh, I thought was great. He had that pass to Peyton Pritchard who knocked down the three. It got overturned because it was a shot clock violation, but I thought it was a good example of Jalen kind of drawing attention and then kicking it. The Celtics just passing in that first quarter was pretty phenomenal. Um, eight assists on the 12 buckets they had. Uh, I guess Jalen Brown only had one assist, but Al Horford had three and they just felt like they were really moving the basketball and Jalen had, um, just a phenomenal uh, phenomenal performance there. 17 points in the first quarter is absolutely insane. And it's kind of, it felt like to me that as soon as the Celtics got up 25 or like got went into the half of the 25 point lead, I really didn't feel like there was a way uh, in which they were going to lose that game just because they've been so good on the defensive end. And so the key to the Celtics is just finding a way to kind of I think it's going to be really hard to like have the type of performance they did in the first half and like sustain that for 48 minutes. I just think the Bucks defense is too good. But can you have two hot quarters and get that big lead and then just kind of rely on your defense uh to win the rest of the game? I thought it was just like once they once they were able to kind of just have that crazy shooting performance and get up big, then I think they could have probably to their detriment like kind of just sat back and relied on their defense, but I think it's like a pretty decent formula for winning. Yeah, they they kind of played prevent offense. I felt like over the second half, um, where they weren't playing with the same pop that they had before halftime, the same aggressiveness. You know, Jalen Brown's hamstring. How worried are you by that? Uh, I have no idea how to assess that. I like the fact that he has eight days off before game three, though. Yeah, that that, that break should be helpful. Uh he was clearly clutching at it. Um, it, it clearly bothered him. Emi Udoka said he's going to deal with tightness sometimes. And then they took him out before all the other starters, which I didn't think was a good sign. Because, And then Emi said that it was because he ran a heavy amount in the second half, which is like, okay, <laughs> it's a playoff game. He People will run heavy amounts. Um, and, and maybe they just decided he's ha- he's been dealing with this. He's clearly in a, at least a little bit of pain. Like, let's just get him out. We've got a double digit lead, whatever. But I, I do think that's something to watch as this series continues, as this playoff run continues. And then the other concern coming out of that game Derek White's shooting, scale of one to 10. <laughs> how, how much does that, that one eat at you? Uh, it, it doesn't eat at me just because I've never seen Derek White shoot the ball. So I don't have this like giant expectation that he's going to shoot the ball well, but 
For a guy who scored zero points uh, on his six shots and was 0 for 4 from three, uh, pretty solid, plus 22, still had five assists. But that one, that was, I thought, was like a, an interesting adjustment that the Bucks did in the second half, which was uh, they put Giannis on Jalen to start the game, which obviously uh, did not work out. But then they put Giannis on Derek White, who played, I think, way more minutes than he normally would, just given Marcus Smart's absence. But they put Giannis on Derek White and basically allowed him to roam free, allowed Giannis to roam free. I'm pretty sure the Celtics ran a play uh, early in the either second half or coming out of that timeout where they like first realized that Giannis was on white and they just ran a play to get white a wide open corner three. He got a wide open corner three because Giannis was just helping the drive and he missed it. And so uh, I thought the Celtics did a better job as the kind of second half went on of um, I guess not settling for those shots and they did some nice relocation where they would drive and then Jalen and Jason would uh, relocate to three point line. But it's going to be interesting if, if white's out there, if their, their, their move is just like, okay, let's just not guard him at all because then that becomes a problem uh, that you really just, you can't have out there. Yeah. And, and everyone else was hot enough that it didn't matter. Six for nine from three for Grant Williams, six for 10 from three for Jalen Brown, five for 10 from three for Jason Tatum, like two for four from Peyton Pritchard. So everyone else except for Al Horford was efficient from behind the arc and Sam Hauser was over one, but <laughs> that doesn't really, really <laughs> count. Uh, but, but it, it, it's, it'll be on the, the, the days when it's closer that, that, that Derek White 0 for 4, 0 for 6, and not even a threat could matter. I, I think he does a really good job of making himself a threat, even though teams aren't guarding him. Like, he doesn't always settle. And I think people, it, it could be that he's just worried about shooting wide open threes. But also, a lot of the times when he catches the ball, there's a lot of time on the shot clock. And he knows I'm not the best three point shooter in this lineup. If I shoot a three here, it's letting the defense off the hook. And he's he's looking to make the next play happen. And I thought he did a really he good job of that. He catches it on the run. Like he catches it ready to like repenetrate and do like he's he's looking to make another play. Yeah. And and I don't think you have to be a great shooter. I don't think you have to be a knockdown shooter to to make an impact in the playoffs. He uses his his intelligence to allow him to make an impact anyway. Um and we like a lot of those great ball movement sequences. Derek White was right in the middle of it. Whether he was driving to the paint, finding somebody, whether it was him getting the assist, whatever, he was he was big in that. But I also think like the shooting is an issue, and the shooting is something that other teams are going to target as a weakness. And the fact that he's can't be trusted to even make a a corner three at this point allows the Bucks to to really hide Giannis on him and allow Giannis to just be a force everywhere else. And, and that's how it, it could matter is just like shifting the geometry of the court and giving the Celtics far less space to work with elsewhere. Um, so we'll see. He hasn't been like offensively. He, he's been very inefficient scoring the ball throughout the playoffs so far. And, I do think that that's a concern that that could matter, even though he's he's pretty good at at like making an impact without making shots. Let's give him credit. He was two of three from deep in game one, but I do think it's like 
out of all the guys they put out there, he is their worst offensive player, uh, just in terms of his threat. Like Peyton Pritchard, uh, knocked down at least two threes in this game, but he's a he's a shooting threat. And then Grant Williams coming off the bench. We talked about how good his shooting has been. And then Robert Williams with a little uh, baseline jumper, which I feel like we've seen two or three times this season. I don't know if that's uh, going to be something they go to a lot or uh, obviously that was just an end of the shot clock play. One thing I thought was interesting that without Marcus Smart being out there, uh, Ime shortened the rotation to just seven guys. And we saw... A lineup that I think he's gone to a couple times, but I also think in the past it was, it was mostly due to injuries. But we saw the huge lineups with Grant Williams at the three, and I actually thought they were pretty effective in just countering the size of the Bucks. Uh, it felt like the Bucks um, didn't get really get the offensive glass uh, or offensive rebounds they had in the first game. Only five off uh, offensive rebounds for them. Looking at second chance points. It was pretty much even, but I just, I liked the kind of uh, giant lineup. And then they, they paired it with either Tatum and Pritchard or Brown and Pritchard. And like just the ability for them, the Celtics be able to get like decent looks with those three guys out there. I thought was uh, a night, like an interesting wrinkle that he may use in with smarts absence. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think, you know, with, with smart out, um, like, Tatum becomes more important as a ball handler, especially the way the Bucks are guarding with with all the full court pressure and everything else. Like, there's just a lot on Tatum, a lot on Brown, and I I thought like Brown's Brown was bad in Game One, and beyond just the shots, it was just he he had a much better understanding or showed a much better understanding of how to attack the Bucks defense. Um, he got to the mid-range pull-up a couple times. He dropped Grayson Allen. He he had the step back on Giannis. Uh, he had like he put on a shot-making display, but he also wasn't forcing it in the paint and over-penetrating and, and being too aggressive. And I thought, you know, the the one the one play that was just like just beautiful, beautiful basketball when. Al Horford finished the possession with a million passes just before the shot clock. Like Jalen was a huge, huge part of that. He's the one who got in the paint first. He's the one he he passed up a pretty not a great look at three, but a, a, a look at three to get in the paint again and keep the ball moving. And and I just I just felt like it was a much more mature showing from him than than we saw in game one. And maybe part of that is just. Like after the Brooklyn series, every, everything was easy in those four games offensively, and you gotta just totally, totally attack the Bucks one hundred percent differently. Yeah, it felt like they were like the classic giving up a good shot to get a great shot. They didn't necessarily even get great shots. They had a lot of great shot making, but they were clearly more patient, more drive and kick. Uh, it felt like in game one they settled for the first open three, and that's kind of why Al Horford, I think he attempted nine threes in that game. I just think they had a better shot distribution of like getting the shots uh, or in the hands of the guys they wanted. Um, and that's Tatum Brown. And I guess Grant Williams at this point, if he's just going to continue to shoot 40% from three. Uh, Ime said after the game that he still like thought they, they missed some drop-offs to, or some lobs to Robert Williams. I would agree with him. They had that one 
designed lob, I think, out of an ATO or ended up uh, Brooke Lopez uh, fouling Rob. But I still think they're – it's not like they're attacking the rim uh, or getting as many like easy baskets at the rim as you would still like to see. So I still feel like there's room for improvement there. And it's been kind of surprising just with how great Rob Williams' season has been in these first two games with uh, him not making as much of an impact on offense. He's still doing a uh, pretty solid job on the offensive glass. And then Giannis basically just attacking him and being able to go right through him. It's been kind of interesting. Like he's just, he hasn't looked like the same player that we, we got used to seeing earlier in the year. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's a really tough series for Rob because the Bucks are so great at protecting the rim that like it, it's tougher to have a lob against them because not only does Brooke Lopez do an incredible job of of playing both his man and the ball, but also then you have Giannis lurking behind him and a whole bunch of professional defenders everywhere else. And so I'm not sure this will be a huge scoring series for Robert Williams, but if you look at the defensive numbers – when he's on the court, and especially when he's on the court with Al Horford, over 33 minutes so far in this series, the Celtics have given up 82.9 points per 100 possessions with those two guys on the court, which is fucking insane. Like, just insane. And I think there's obviously an offensive drop-off, especially in this series, the way the Bucks protect the paint and force you to shoot threes. You need more spacing. But the defense with those two guys on the court has been spectacular. Uh, so I, I think that that's a piece of it too. Is that his defense against them, even though he's not like the best option against Giannis, obviously having him lurking on the weak side is just a huge, huge deal. Especially when you combine that with having Horford or Grant Williams on Giannis to to make things tough for him in the primary matchup. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash 
or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we will get to some callers instead. We will go with Josh. Josh, how are you doing, man? I am outstanding, and I want to thank you personally, Jay King, and you, Jam, because I had good reason to be concerned after game one. Um, but I also left that game thinking to myself, why am I not as down as I could be? Could it be because we went 18 for 50 from three? And Which is a pretty good percentage, by the way. It's a great percentage. It's fine, but shooting 53 pointers is always going to be um, it's always going to mean that you didn't take the best shot. It just means that you sort of settled, right? And I should have been, I should have left that game more concerned, according to my Bucks fans um in the chat and i didn't i found myself thinking well we lost by 12 and if there were four more threes then we would have been tied going into an overtime and then yesterday um and then yeah it was yesterday or two days ago you guys recorded and i found myself thinking yeah you guys are approaching it really level-headed and that hell yeah yeah maybe i instead of not every day that that joshua b gives us credit so this is a big day for us i give you credit plenty <laughs> check your mentions um anyway so i so then yesterday night i found myself thinking oh my god this celtics team is going to bully through javon carter for you know if, if javon carter decides to guard 90 feet if they really decide to do that all the way through then we're going to bulldoze over him every time. I mean, I thought the first adjustment that I saw was that every time they decided to press us in the backcourt, we went right after them, whether that's Derek White or whether that's Al Horford dribbling the ball up or whether that's um, Jason Tatum or, or whoever, that we got into our offense at 18 seconds as opposed to 12 seconds, which is what was happening in game one. Um, I thought that was the very first adjustment, and I thought it made all the difference. We suddenly weren't rushing shots. We suddenly were... We're moving. And of course, Jalen Brown had a good game. He averaged 22 points during the regular season. He was going to only average five the entire time just after, despite coming to the game three hours early. You know, like some of this is like, is it's the difference between like, are we expecting the Bucks to put up like a good fight, to put up good effort, or are we expecting them to just completely roll over, completely be done because they won game one and to see it swing so far the other way. I mean, I haven't heard this mentioned anywhere. The Bucks scored three points less than what we scored in game one, 89 to 86 and lost. And we scored eight more points than they scored in their game one win. That's a 30 point swing. You, you got a question for that, us, Josh? <laughs> the idea that like that doesn't count, whatever. Hey, the, all the Bucks had to do was win one game on the road, and you know, God knows that seventy percent of all NBA series have the, whoever wins game one. You know, that's how much. Just, just ignore it. Just ignore the fact that they lost by by damn close to thirty. Is that what I'm being told? Well, the games the 
the games don't are it's not like soccer. It's like the aggregate uh points don't necessarily add up. We got a lot of we got a lot of uh garbage time in both games and I I take your point that the Celtics played very well and that they dominated the Bucks uh on the defensive end, but I think just as you kind of walk away from the game one and you're not completely concerned about the Celtics with what they like, they like, it's not, it's the, the season's not over. They can clear some things up, especially the turnovers. I think as a Celtics fan, as dominant as the Celtics were in the first half, and they did a great job to build up a 25 point lead. And Jay, you mentioned they were playing prevent offense. And so, it's not necessarily the the be all end all of what happened in the second half, but the second half was pretty even, and so it's just I just don't. It's going to be a hard fought series no matter what, and I think some of what the Celtics did in the first half was a little bit unsustainable. And we see when the Bucks really lock down or abandon a shooter that they can really like the Celtics only scored eighteen points in the third quarter. It got a little dicey there if it wasn't for like some Tatum making some great individual shots. And so as mo- I would just encourage everyone not to ride the wave of the series and not get like overreact to either thing. I think the Celtics show that they can they can score points and uh but it's gonna be very interesting to me to see if like they can have the same level of shot making they did in the first half uh going into Milwaukee because I don't know how accurate this is, but it's always a trope is just like you your role players or just generally you shoot worse on the road and especially in the playoffs and your role players shoot worse on the road. And so I think there uh, we can't we can't ride the roller coaster here. The Celtics played well. They continue to play well on the defensive end, but I think it's the offense. The consistency of the offense is the biggest question. Yeah, and and Jalen Brown had a quote that I thought was interesting and I'm not sure exactly how he meant it. Um but he said, yeah, we hit a lot of shots. He's like, and it's going to take making a lot of shots to beat this Bucks defense. And I think he meant it literally like they are going to make us for force us to make jump shots. And and so like that can come with ugly nights like it did in game one. And it can come with ugly stretches like I'm sure it will like it did in the second half of game two. I think the Celtics scored seven points over the first seven plus minutes of the third quarter. So. Like the Celtics should have a, a deep, deep respect for this Bucks defense, how good they are, how much they force you out of easy shots and force you to milk possessions and and get like deep into deep into a possession to get even a little bit of of room for a shot a lot of the time. Um so yeah, I I and the other part of it is after after you win game game one on the road Human nature. You let up a little bit. The other team is desperate. Uh, so we'll see. I I think this is going to be a long series. This is going to be a bloodbath of a series. I've thought that from the beginning. I still think that now. These are two really, really good teams. Two great defenses that will just compete and compete and compete for what I think will be probably a, a long, long series. All right, now let's go to Grant G., Grant, thanks for joining us. How you doing? Good, man. I uh, just got off the pike, so getting a little better. Um, long-time listener, first-time speaker. Uh, I just want to like give a shout-out to Ime for uh, out Greg Popovich coaching uh, Budenholzer 
it was like watching the 2014 Spurs <laughs> against uh, the Heat in the finals, where it was just so much passing and ball movement that the defense just looked outwinded. And we obviously know that Budenholzer has uh, five of them things with uh, the Spurs. So it was <laughs> it was kind of funny to see, like, he knew what was happening. He just couldn't do anything about it. Um, I just want to say it was like a night and day difference between what we saw between game one and game two. And it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that that I, first I, half. I have to, I have to agree. <laughs> that first half was some high level high level basketball from the Celtics just some stupid shot making from Jalen Brown some of the ball movement was just spectacular they hold Giannis to two for 11 they hold the Bucks to eight three-point attempts you don't get much better than that <laughs> that was a that was just a damn sharp first half and and I, I do think the Celtics learned from game one the level of commitment it will take to like thorough commitment for 24 seconds on every shot clock to to beat this Bucks defense and that was I mean they had a the Celtics had a lot of really great halves over the second half of the season so I'm not ready to say it was their best half of the season but clearly obviously 100% the most important and here's the part where I I'm, I am going to let myself get a little uh, a rational Celtics fan like that showed you what the Celtics are capable of when they're really playing great offensive basketball like even if the shot making wasn't there I think they just the passing and the probing and driving kick driving kick driving kick getting good looks shows you like kind of the upper bounds the ceiling of what the Celtics offense can be. For the Bucks, I just don't know what their solution is other than Giannis scoring 50 points. Now, that being said, not a bad solution to have. Not a bad fallback strategy. It's just like, oh, Giannis figures out this whole Al Horford, Grant Williams things and just goes off for for 50. But I, do, I, I even think that is a pretty decent strategy for the Celtics is like if – if the Bucks are going to win, it's going to be Giannis alone. And you're going to have, like, if Giannis gets 50, then you still need 50 points from the other guys. And I think that the Celtics playing a kind of more egalitarian ball movement style offense, I think it's just more conducive to prolonged success rather than the Bucks, which seems just at this point without Middleton is, is just solely relying on Giannis, like creating something. Yeah. And where that could go wrong for the Celtics, I think, is if Giannis is so good that they have to stop playing him one-on-one so much. Yeah, and we saw that in send, game in game yeah. one where they kind of overhelped, and that's when Grayson Allen and Pat Connaughton just got wide-open threes. Yeah, and that's why I think without Middleton, there's so much pressure on Giannis to just be spectacular because once the Celtics figured out, like, let's not send as much help, then... Like they were able to take away basically everyone else. I mean, Drew Holiday was seven for twenty from the field. Um, Connaughton had a very efficient night, but it was mostly twos. He just hit one three, 
poor days again, like an efficient night, but the Celtics will live with the the shots that those guys got. It's like they really were able to do a lot to take away everyone else uh, because of the way they were able to play Giannis. But if Giannis breaks through that, and if Giannis is getting layups, putting guys in foul trouble, finishing at a much higher clip, then all of a sudden the Celtics have to switch their defense, defensive strategy, and that's where the cracks show up. So I, I do it felt think... Like- Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, it felt like Giannis was a little bit frustrated by the kind of the Celtics physicality. And uh, he settled for like a lot of uh, like back uh, fadeaway jump shots or just kind of like not like there's sometimes like in the third quarter, it felt like Giannis is just like, OK, I'm going to go to the rim. And that's when he got uh, he was his most dangerous. and I think he was his most effective. He kind of needs to have that energy throughout the entire game i think in the first half he was like settling for jumpers over grant williams um anytime he shoots a jumper even if it goes in i think it's a win for the celtics especially if it's a three but if he really gets downhill and is just like absolutely like in ass kicking mode for 48 minutes i think it's dangerous for the celtics it's a lot to ask for a guy but as jay i think you mentioned uh anytime the bucks and the celtics play Giannis's conditioning is just like absolutely unreal, and if anyone can it's just ridiculous. like be in be in attack mode for a full game, I think it's him. It's insane, especially for a guy his size. <laughs> like, most guys his size, they have to have limited minutes. By the time the fourth quarter comes, they are out of gas, their hands on their knees, and he's just like, "Give me the ball. I'm going to go at whoever they send at me." I'm going to drive this ball every single time. I'm going to go through people's chests. It, it's unbelievable just to watch the amount that guy is able to work. Like forget, forget about all the other stuff. The, the skills, the passing, the downhill footwork, everything else he brings. It's just like, that is a huge man who somehow has a conditioning level to keep going at an extremely high level for every single minute that he's on the court. It's unbelievable. He had had 18 points in the third quarter on 8 of 11 shooting. uh, And that was missing three of his free throws, uh, which it felt like the counting. The counting is back. um, When I have mixed feelings on because it felt like it messed him up a little bit. um, Probably just reading too much into it. But then eventually the counting is just like it it tells him it just becomes part of his routine. He releases the ball at nine seconds every single time. Uh, it feels like it, uh, he's eventually going to get over it. But my, my biggest qualm with the counting was it was slow counting. <laughs> you want a faster bell? <laughs> yeah, you you got to count up to like 13, 14, make, make him think about it. He, he, he was probably sitting there. They, a lot of the time, they, they only got to the nine count. And he's probably like, yeah, I got plenty of time, you know? So... I, I, I'm not sure it was great execution on the count. They got to be a little quicker with the count. They definitely do. But Giannis, that third quarter, just looking at it again, 12, played all 12 minutes, 18 points. The Bucks won that quarter uh, by eight points and kind of uh, cut into the lead. He's going to need to do that, I think, for just a, a longer stretches of the game. And I think the one thing the Celtics can do is what they did in game two is not let him get those opportunities out in fast break opportunities. 
and really like making buckets or having solid possession so they can come back and build the wall and do a, a solid job against him because uh, I expect him to come out with even kind of more effort in uh, game three because that's just kind of what happens after you lose in the playoffs. Let's go to Avery W here on Anything is Potable. Avery. Hey, guys. Um, uh, it's great. I thought it was a great game, too. My question has to do with the fact that the Celtics are getting into their offense super slowly for the basic fact that Drew Holiday is pressuring, uh, as you were mentioning, Jam, the entire length of the court. Is there a way that they can negate that? Because any suggestions about that you guys are throwing out there, all of which I think make a ton of sense, don't really work if there's only you know 15 or even 14 seconds left on the shot clock. So I'm wondering if you think there's a way that they can – um, get the ball over half court faster, or if there's an adjustment to be made there that would counteract this effectively. That's a good question. Jay, I think I think part of it. Mind. I think part of it is um, just getting stops, and when you get stops, you're able to outlet the ball. Whoever grabs a rebound, sometimes it was Al Horford, sometimes it was other guys. You can just get in transition and limit it that way. The other thing that the Celtics really stressed after game one was they just set a lot of shitty screens and they weren't able to get Drew Holiday and Javon Carter and Wes Matthews off Celtics players bodies. And I think that was that was a major emphasis for the Celtics after game one was let's set better screens, (laughs) which, you know, (laughs) we talk about the bigger adjustments, but sometimes it's as simple as just let's make contact with these fucking screens <laughs> you know <laughs> like let's let's make sure that that we set a solid screen don't get a moving screen and are able to get this incredible defender off of Jason Tatum's body and so i think that's part of it but you you could have al horford uh bring the ball up if brook lopez is guarding him you could have one of the other ball handlers bring it up but the 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 bucks like they are gifted with a bunch of guys who can really get up in you. It's not just Drew Holiday. It's Wes Matthews, who I don't know how he was as available as he was this season because that dude can still help a team. Um, Javon Carter can get up in you. Grayson Allen has gotten up in guys. He got tripped, which was comedy. But Pat Connaughton can get up in a guy. I, I think they just have a lot of guys. It's not just Drew Holiday, although he's incredibly good at it. It's it's they have a roster. All all their their littles are able to to really get up into the body and and stick with guys in a way that's frustrating. And it's also counteracts one of the Celtics' weaknesses, which is they don't have that like that all star level point guard who's just gonna just break break down whatever type of defender is in it. Like Marcus Smart has been really good. Derek White is really smart, but it's not like those guys can just beat any defender, whoever it is. There, it's not like Ja Moran or Kemba when Kemba was good, or Kyrie or uh, Isaiah Thomas who could just like break through any type of defense. It's not like that anymore, so it's a little tougher. Yeah, and there's really just no adjustment for after a made basket. Like those guys are going to be there or coming out of a timeout. There's like they're setting a better screen, but I think the big adjustment that the Celtics did in game two is just not letting that pressure affect their decision making or rushing the ball and just having that to lead to live ball turnovers. Like the Celtics, yeah, it's the playoffs. You're gonna if you're you're gonna get pressured, 
and you're going to have to start your offense uh, a little bit later than you'd like, but the Celtics were able to do that and then get some good looks and then kind of get stops and get it going. Whereas in game one, they kind of let it like they succumbed to the pressure and gave up a bunch of turnovers. So I think it's just being steady with the basketball, I guess, running people into more screens from Al Horford and things like that, or maybe helping up. Uh, but it's, I don't think it's something that's going away. It feels like a pretty critical part of uh, the Bucks strategy, at least in this series. Let's go to Hirsch S. Hirsch, how you doing? Hey, guys. How's it going? Um, so Jalen and Jason both have been great uh, for the most part in these playoffs. But to me, it's been the playoffs of Grant Williams. Um, with the way he's played, to me, maybe I'm nuts, but I'm starting to think he might become a better version of P.J. Tucker um, at some Ooh. point in his career. Uh so my questions for you guys are, one, how important do you think it is for the Celtics to uh, retain the services of Grant Williams going forward? And what do you think a contract extension for him would look like? That is more forward thinking than I was ready for in the playoffs. <laughs> uh, I haven't you didn't really see all spent, the, the, the Grant extension talk last night? I, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about Grant Williams's possible extension yet? I, I do wonder if like he he's clearly made himself a lot of money this this season. He's been really good. He's become a, a knockdown consistent three point shooter. He has taken the Kevin Durant challenge. He has taken the Giannis challenge. He has shown the defensive versatility that matters most. Um, so yeah, he's he's going to be important long term. He's he's a big piece of the defensive versatility. Uh, allowing them to stay stay with their top defense while still having some shooting, which is important. I don't know what the contract extension stuff will be, but I do wonder from the Celtics standpoint. Um, like, like I my my initial thought is that this might be a scenario where they might be just better off waiting for another year and not extending him just because um like his value is really high right now <laughs> and he's had a great season he's had a great two series he's playing played two of the best players in the world really well defensively and because of and maybe he'll just keep improving but um I don't see him as as ever becoming like a star level player and I don't know like how much growth he can show from here in one year next year. And maybe I'm underselling the development that he could still have, but but that's just the way I see possible extension talks. Whereas Robert Williams, you looked ahead and it was like, okay, one year from now that dude could be a star, you know? Whereas Grant Williams, I feel like he's great at what he does. He's become like a really valuable piece for the Celtics. But I just don't know like what what's next for him developmentally. Yeah, I have no idea how to gauge the uh Grant Williams extension market. It does feel like he's the nat like the as soon as the Horford contract kind of comes off the books, maybe Horford comes back, but I just don't know how you can expect him to kind of produce after that. He kind of naturally slides into I guess a, a starting five is uh with the Jays Smart and Robert Williams but 
I don't know. I, I also was not prepared for Grant Williams extension talk, but that's why the potable listeners are the best because they're thinking about everything. Let's go to Brian L. Now, Brian, how you doing? Hey, you guys got me? Yes, yes sir. Yes, sir. Hey, so I first of all, I have just an observation from last night's game, but then I have another question later. Love, so, love it. My object. I was I was at the game last night, and during that stretch of time when it seemed like Tatum was like really unraveling, he had the tech, and then the twenty four second violation. I don't know if you saw it, Jay, but Ime called for JT's attention and like was yelling at him from the sideline. It was um, started to like emphatically like gesture to his head, like pointing to it, like telling him like focus up or like lock in or something like that. And I just thought that was a really cool interaction to see play out firsthand and it's one that i don't know if we would have seen at least to that extent like in the past couple of years like whether like just through the fact like ime coach is different and played in the nba and stuff like that but anyways um but then my second thing is how are how are we maintaining this defensive intensity by playing peyton pritchard in these minutes like in the brooklyn series in that game two uh in that game two against brooklyn that run was also with Peyton Pritchard on the floor for long stretches of time. And uh, Steve Nash and the Nets just didn't hunt it out of, uh, either. Is it as simple as just hi- hiding him off ball? or And do you think that's something that's exploited from Milwaukee at some point in the series? I think it's really tough to get to that. Uh, just because if you do involve Peyton Pritchard, he's probably on like a Javon Carter type. You know, he's, he's not going to be guarding the best player. I also think Pritchard's really tough. and. Pritchard, for his height, is he knows what he's doing. He's going to get up in guys. He's gonna he's gonna work at it. So it's not like he's a a guy that teams are just flicking away. Um, but yeah, he they've been able to hold up defensively with with him on the court, which I think says a lot to the guys around him, um, as much as it does to to what he's doing. It, you look at the numbers. So far for him in the playoffs, uh, I guess the defensive rating is is probably a little worse than I anticipated with him on the court. Um, but but yeah, like they they've been able to for the most part hold up, and I, I think that's pretty big because his shooting is really really important. Yeah, I just don't think the Bucks necessarily have the weapons to their offense is so focused on Giannis and the Celtics can do a good job with Peyton Pritchard on the court of just avoid like just not putting Pritchard in a situation where he has to guard Giannis. We really haven't seen the Bucks try to like take advantage of mismatches. Occasionally it's been Bobby Portis taking like Jalen uh in the post or even some smaller guys, but the Bucks offense seemingly to this point has been Giannis, 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 Giannis he goes to the bench and Drew Middleton tries some stuff. Well, and so I just don't really know if tu- they have like the exact personnel that do it. It's really tough because like if if they're running Chris Middleton, Giannis pick and rolls, then you can get in a tough situation because if if you're playing drop coverage in that, then Chris Middleton's getting open, you know? Or if if you're like like you have to make tough decisions against that. Whereas now it's like okay, like go ahead and shoot a pull up three. Basically anybody, except maybe Drew Holiday, and and I think that's a big deal for the way the Celtics are able to play defense in this series, 
they don't have to make a ton of decisions. It's just kind of been, okay, let's focus on limiting Giannis and still be able to guard the other guys. It, like He has to, to create so much for himself and and you can go under any screen against him like it's it's tough to force teams into switches just with the the lack of playmaking they have around him that's fair and that is where we will end it a solid hour of Celtics podcasting thanks to all of the people here at live in the athletic app who joined us and asked questions thanks to all the listeners out there if you enjoy the show Please give us a rating on whatever means you listen to podcasts to. Thank you for joining us, Guy. Guy, I just called you Guy. Hey, Guy, thank you for joining us. Jay, I don't have anything to ask you if it's potable about. Do you have anything? Anything is potable, bro. (laughs) It's a fair point. It's a fair point, bro. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.